Sonoma. Welcome back. You're listening to KSBY 91.7. My name is Francisco. I have a fabulous guest today, Kathy King. She's the director of Sonoma Overnight Support, and she's had a vast experience making a difference in the Valley. Can't wait to get started. Hello, Sonoma. As I mentioned, my guest today is Kathy King. Kathy is a native San Franciscan and a longtime nonprofit leader. She came to Sonoma 10 years ago, first as a consultant for Sonoma Overnight Support, and has been direct, the director of that organization for over seven years. She's had vast experiences all across the country, and we're lucky to have her not only here in Sonoma, but here on the show. Hi, Kathy. Welcome. Good morning, Francisco. How's everything going? Great. Beautiful. So um, I just mentioned briefly your involvement in Sonoma. How has your involvement in Sonoma evolved over the past few years? Well, I started as a consultant, like you said, with SOS on fundraising and organizational development and then uh, became the director. Um, and that's been, that's been great. It's been exciting. I mean, as the organization has grown, we've grown with, uh, with raising more money. We've grown in staff and we've grown in being able to deliver our services, both of food and, um, you know, showers, laundry, case management to the number of homeless and food deprived in Sonoma and the Valley. Yeah, it's an, it's an incredible effort and an incredible organization. I'm lucky to be able to work with you. Um, that wasn't your intention when you came to Sonoma, though, to get involved. No, actually, that way. my intention was to just do uh, do a little bit of consulting and the kind of semi-retire, I had been working um, in the nonprofit, as you say, sector for years and uh, had friends up here. And I was just going to stay for a weekend. And then I stayed for three days and I stayed for five. And then I thought, I want to stay here forever because this is a great place to live. And it's a great, uh, I've been able to, you know, meet more people and have a nice community of friends up here. So yeah, it's you have really any... a blessing. It's been a blessing. I don't know if there's anybody else who has quite as vast of a network in Sonoma as you do. You know everybody. Well, it's uh, a small town. Everybody knows everybody. So this isn't your first time in a small town. As I alluded to earlier, you've been traveling all around the country. Can you tell me about um, your job training? Um, tell us about that. Well, I, um, I, uh, I did work in Oakland, California for Oakland community organizations. Um, and then um, I... That was a nonprofit started by a Jesuit priest named Father John Bauman. Uh, and I ended up uh, going to Helena, Montana, which is the capital of Montana, but it's, it's a small town and it, it has the same feel of uh, Sonoma. People take care of one another, nonprofits are strong. And so my job there was for the Northern Rockies Action Group. We were in three states, Idaho, Wyoming and Montana. And my job was to travel around and train people how to do fundraising and organizational development. Very exciting, um, fun times. Although in the Rockies, there's only a small window when you can travel. So um, it, it, uh, once, once the roads are clear, then I was out and about. So that's, um, that's what I did up there. And, and I um, You've been to even smaller towns like Two Dot and Burley, Idaho, yeah. yes. and just traveling and, uh, all across the place. And then I did live in a small town called Clancy that had one bar and one gas station. And uh, was, um, I lived in a farmhouse there uh, with, with Odd House. So once it got cold, I moved back into town. 
So, so what are some lessons that you learned from traveling all around the country like that? Uh, I I learned that uh, people people are the same. They want to be they want to be respected. Whether it was an environmentalist in in um, in Wyoming or whether it was um, uh, a miner, former miner in Butte, Montana, uh, they just want to be treated with respect and they want to um, have justice. So. Uh, that was the same thing I learned in Oakland doing uh, working in the inner city in West Oakland, East, East Oakland, is that um, people want to get um, they want to get their fair share. And, and they also communities also want to they want to work hard, too. They don't want to they don't want to just be given anything. They're 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 part of the community and they want to be respected. And I think once you respect people, they see that and then you can you can help them. Yeah, and you know, sometimes that's the the danger of, of living in a small town like ours is that you forget that there are so many other small towns just like ours, that the world is made up of small towns. Right. And that's if right. you don't if you don't go and see them, you can uh, think that they're vastly different from us. Right. And that the people that, that come to those small towns, I mean you could have a PhD and he's behind the counter being, you know, pouring you coffee. You know, and so right. you can't you can't judge people. That's the thing I learned. I just could never judge somebody. The same thing when I, I was able to, um, I had to fundraise in, uh, in New York and in California while I was in Montana. I would go to big, you know, see the Rockefellers, and they would ask me onto their properties uh, right by um, um, Yellowstone, and they had huge amount of properties, but they all were. Um, you can't judge them. I couldn't judge who had millions and millions of dollars or I, I, I would never know. I, and so, um, that was, that was the really fascinating part is, is getting to meet people that you would, that's what's so exciting about what I do is I get to meet people, uh, in every echelon of life. Um, and that was fun. Yeah. And it sounds like, um, I know that your family was very open. Your your father was involved with the church. Your mother, you lived right across the street from the church, and you kind of had an open door policy. So, right. what, what were what were some other lessons besides being open and and excited about people around you? Other lessons that your parents taught you growing up? Well, my parents, you know, they they worked for the, but you know, I was raised Irish Catholic, and so uh, my father counted the money after church, and he, you know, he was a Rotarian. He was. Uh, um, you know, he was head of the Father's Club. My mother did the festival and they were always giving back. So I think it's the example that we learned from my parents, even and my father lived to be almost 100 and he still went to his rotary meetings. Um, he still um, got out and about and they continued to give back to the community. It wasn't an isolated thing. So we had priests over. The nuns were semi-cloistered, so we went and brought them food, but um, we learned from them, they were daughters of charity that have a very, um, uh, they're connected to the poor. And I ended up working for the daughters of charity. My father was on the board of Seton hospital and he helped them get their original building, uh, get the site for their building. And then years later, I went and worked as the director of their foundation and they have, um, their mission is to help the poor. So that. I, I'm glad to follow in my both parents' uh, footsteps uh, to, you know, give back to the community. Yeah, and you've certainly done that. 
Um, but it wasn't always that way. Can you tell us about your very first job uh, across the bay? First job across the bay. You were at a grocery store, weren't you? Oh, yeah. No, I, I worked for um, a chain after college. I tried to... Um, By the way, you majored in art history in college. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> that's correct. Um, I wanted to be an artist, but then uh, my talents were not in that direction. So uh, my first job was uh, for a chain of grocery stores. And um, I had to you know, work in their, work in their office. I was the young, youngest in the whole office. And they sent me back to school. They called me college kid. They sent me back to school to learn um, a contometer, which is 10 keys across, 10 keys down. They don't even make them anymore. So I learned the adding machine anyway. And then I learned everyone's desk. I would replace everybody. So I got a really good education, but I realized I didn't want to be in an office and I did want to have somebody I didn't want to have to punch in or not, punch in every day, punch out every day. I did not want that. So my my job now, so flexible. I'm working from home. I have people over every day. I get to meet people all the time. So I get to, you know, call my own shots timing-wise. Well, the reason but, that I bring that up is, you know, a lot yeah. of young people are listening and we're often told that direction in life is is very simple. You go, you do this in college, and then you do this right after, and then you, you go, and it doesn't yeah, sound like that's the way that it is. No, I mean, the path, the, the reason I started doing fundraising is that uh, my brother was a Jesuit priest, and um, he told me there was an opening in, in uh, Oakland, and the priest said, um, they offered me half the salary I was getting, and they needed an office manager. And I said, oh, I could do that. So I went over and they had no money. So I had to line the people up to pay them. People in the front were the ones that had families and kids and people that were single. And then the people that were, were with religious organizations were at the end of the line because they could get support. So then I had to learn how to do fundraising because we had no money. So that was not a straight path. Um, and I learned from probably one of the greatest fundraisers I know, Kim Klein, and we, she, she helped me and I went to school wherever they didn't have much fundraising training then, but I started training the community organizing people to go on the calls with me and ask people for money. And that was the key. So they went, they went with me to the, to the big banks or the, or the, a big fancy office and they, they, they were scared, but they loved it. They loved it. Wow. And I, I mean, in terms of fundraising, you've been able to raise a lot of money for many different important organizations, including the one you run now. Um, but that wasn't always your role either because you had kind of an, yeah. a, an exciting position in Montana. Tell us about uh, the MX missiles and how in your role in stopping them. Well, I was a member of a group called Last Chance Peacemakers, and then I was I helped start an organization, which was an eight-state anti-MX missile. The MX missile was a missile that they put in secretly all over the West and convinced um, farmers in the 50s to put these missiles in case there was the Soviets launched a missile. So um, I helped start that group um, out of doing the consulting work I did and facilitate the meetings to bring it together. And then um, with that, 
uh, I got involved in the uh, what they used to call the anti-nuclear movement, anti-nuclear. <laughs> and I um, uh, led a protest uh, on April 27th, 1984 on the Maelstrom Air Force Base in Great Falls, Montana and got arrested for uh, trespassing. And they uh, took in about, oh, about 20 of us there and detained us and then gave us a 30 month um, sentence and then sent, sent us sent us home and told us to report the next day. This is why Montana is so great. Report the next day to jail. <laughs> so um, I went back to Helena, which is, you know, probably an hour, an hour and a half drive from Great Falls and turned myself in the next day. So I only served five days for, um, for that. They took me in and then I was all by myself in jail with, with other inmates. And um, then they released me after a couple of days because they were tired of, uh, they said they were tired of having people visit me, they called me <laughs> protester. They applied the food under the jail cell and say, here you go, protester. And um, people were outside, did a 24 hour vigil and uh, people came to visit me and they had to let me visit them. So one was the bishop, a Catholic bishop, uh, head of the, the Methodist church there. So um, they were tired of me. And then they um, let me out one day and took me back in the next day. And then they sent me home. So I only served five days and the fine was paid by um, the peacemakers. So, so we, helped, we helped stop the, that was the local uh, protest, but we did help. And that was because there were missiles in Montana. We helped eventually with, with uh, there was a huge, huge organization that had, um, we had lawyers and filed all sorts of suits and were able to stop, um, stop the MX missile. It wasn't just me, it was this huge uh, eight state um, get, uh, coalition of people. They were very, very, very well organized. So uh, something that I understand is um, the, one of the big issues was that the farmers were putting in these silos for secret missiles on their farms and ranches, and they didn't realize that they would be the prime targets if anything were to happen. And not only would they be the prime targets, when the missiles went off, it would incinerate everything around them. So there were farmers that then went to Russia to try, they was called Ranchers for Peace, that went over to Russia to try to make peace. Wow. Uh, with Russian, uh, the ones that actually had them on their farmlands. And then they actually joined our lawsuit against, against the government to stop uh, these missiles. I mean, they were, you wouldn't even know it. You drive by, you, you wouldn't know. We, we had like night goggles where we could see it. And, and then we led, we did have a thousand people uh, protest demonstration once that, um, to raise the awareness of where the missiles were. We marched to a missile and encircled it. And that, that was pretty powerful. Yeah. Wow. Pretty powerful story. And you were, yeah, it was fun. You were, um, you, you were dedicated enough to put your, your freedom on the line on your way. Well, to I think I, I did have training. I had training. I, I thought about it for a year. It was discernment. It wasn't a, wasn't a uh, you know spur of the moment thought. I knew I got everything in order because I knew that I just called myself an ordinary Christian doing what I thought was right. And that and, seems to be the 
the theme of uh, your life so far? Well, I'm trying. <laughs> Great. Well, we're gonna be we're gonna take a quick listen to our sponsors, and we'll be right back with Kathy King on Hello Sonoma. Hello, Sonoma. Welcome back. We're here with Kathy King again on KSVY ninety one seven. Kathy was just telling us about the power of her conscience and how she was being a a good Christian, doing was what was right as she battled against the MX missiles placement in. Montana and around the West. Um, you know, that's enough to inspire many, many people who are listening now. And so I was wondering, who are some people who inspired you? Who are some people that you always looked up to? Well, I was lucky enough to, um, uh, when I was doing community organizing in Oakland, uh, um, I, I met him, but uh, Cesar Chavez uh, it was definitely someone who who I looked up to and and to Rosa Parks, I named my daughter after her. And um, those were the sort of the heroes that that uh, I hope to, um, you know, emulate. And then there were people along the way that you, you know, uh, a housewife that, uh, you know, would go to all the protests. And, you know, there are people that I met that are, were so inspiring and they had they had their own lives and they gave them up to help their community like in, in Butte, they wanted to improve what the Anaconda miners had done there, devastated the community. And these people worked tirelessly to save their own community. And th those were my heroes. I mean, they they really, on a day-to-day -day basis, they'd be, I'd be waiting for them, come on, we gotta go to this protest. And they'd be feeding their kids and then they'd get in the car with me and drive two hours and go to a meeting. And, uh, you know, I just, I was in awe of them. So I had lots of examples of, of, of men and women that um, were phenomenal. Just And, and here too, um, Elizabeth Kemp in, in Sonoma uh, really is my personal <laughs> heroine. She, she, she was the one who started SOS and she started the Brown Baggers. And she was... Um, I, I, I've never met anybody like her. I was so inspired by her. Uh, and the former director, former president, Cindy Roman, again, she, she took risk and did things that um, were really inspiring to me. And both of those women here locally, um, if I could just do a fourth of what they do, did, I'd be, I'd be happy. Well, I think you certainly are. So you mentioned just at the beginning of this answer about your daughter, Rosa. I love the story of how um, you found her and how she came into your life. I wondered if you could share that with us. Sure. Um, in, uh, so the same day that actually that I did uh, August, oh, sorry, April 27th, 1984, she was born April 27th, 1985 in Honduras in Tegucigalpa. And so um, I went down there, went to Honduras three times and uh, adopted her from, um, she was at that point in a, in a uh, Hogar temporal, temporary orphanage and uh, went and, and brought her home as a single parent because I wanted a family and I was single and things weren't happening. And so um, she's been part of my life for 36 years. She's uh, a fabulous young woman and we we went back to Honduras three times to 
try and find her family. We're working on unification now. Very hard to find uh, to find uh, family members. It's you know it's a third world country. People earn two dollars a day. Uh, it's heartbreaking uh, what that country, the devastation that that country is in, both internally and and externally. So um, I'm really proud of my daughter and. Uh, uh, she, her middle name is Linda in Spanish. It means beautiful rose and she's beautiful inside and out. So I can't say enough about her. She really is. I've been lucky enough to meet her at a couple SOS functions and, um, with her husband. Yeah, she and comes up and volunteer. volunteers. She's got a great husband and, um, he's from Ethiopia and he's, he's a good guy. Although I have to watch soccer all the time, but <laughs> as somebody has to do it. <laughs> yeah, what a, what an amazing, a uh, great story. So another Thanks. thing that I know you for is your quotes. You always have a quote that you send out in your weekly newsletter, and you have books of quotes. Do you have any quotes that you keep? First of all, how have quotes played a role in your life? And do you have any quotes that you keep close to yourself that have kind of guided you? Yeah, I have a little uh, bulletin board at home where I have a, you know, I collect different, I just started collecting quotes and using them. And our weekly update that goes out with SOS, if anybody wants to sign up, here's a pitch. Um, just um, what what should they do? They should um, they should reach out to us on Facebook. Yeah, that's good. And so I just started putting them in our weekly updates, which I started doing at the beginning of the pandemic. Little did I know that it would have to happen every single week. Um, <laughs> and so I just continued to to use to use the quote, and then um, I think. The one I used is, uh, it's, I'm drawing a blank, but it's, it's the one, uh, you know, do what you can, all that you can for all who you can. It's, this is wrong, but that's the quote. <laughs> I'm forgetting it because you put me on the spot, but that's <laughs> the one, you know, do what you can, if you can, for all that you can. That's pretty yeah. much. Leave it all the, on the table. Do it. I mean, you yeah, should put your all out you there. Do it. Yeah. So that's, that's the, that's my, so I just, I like to be inspired by them and I write them down and I save them and I got books on them and it just helps me. Yeah. It's powerful to be inspired by all these people who say these, these great things and you have a lot of good sayings too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll have a Kathy King quote book before you know. Yeah. It. Some of them aren't repeatable. So. <laughs> not on the radio. Not on the radio. No. <laughs> no. Well, and, and also, you know, I'm really lucky to have a great staff. SOS has a great staff. We have a great volunteer board. So they, I just want to say that they inspire me because they're the ones every day, you know, cooking the food and taking care of people. And so that I don't want to miss out to, to not give them credit for everything they do for this community. And last week we served 1,215 meals. Uh, it's just, just overwhelming. So, um, I'm grateful for the community support, but also for the staff that does staff and the volunteers that they, they do a great job. So, so for anyone who's listening, who wants to get involved, just send an email over to office at Sonoma overnight support.org. That's office at Sonoma overnight support.org. Right, Kathy. Yeah. Thanks for the pitch. There I have go. to do it. <laughs> we yeah. got to do it. <laughs> got to do it. Well, Kathy, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on uh, hello Sonoma. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Francisco, and thank you for being a great staff person and a wonderful interview. God bless. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. 
Well, that concludes our interview with Kathy King. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure sitting and talking with her uh, today. So for the next part of this episode, I'm going to play a little bit of music that I really enjoy, that I've enjoyed for a long time, and a little bit of what I'm listening to now. So the first thing I'm going to play is a classic tune, uh, a tune by The Birds and Bob Dylan that has gone around the world many times. So I thought I'd bring it back to Hello Sonoma. This is Tambourine Man, or Mr. Tambourine Man, uh, not quite that close with him, <laughs> Mr. Tambourine Man by The Birds. I hope you enjoy Again, that was Mr. Tambourine Man by The Birds, a world-famous tune in the 60s and 70s. And, uh, you know, it's just a classic that keeps on giving. The next song is a song that is not nearly as well-known as this tune that was covered by both The Birds and Bob Dylan. It's a song by an artist named Rodriguez. Now, Rodriguez has a fascinating story encapsulated in a film called Searching for Sugar Man. Uh, It's a fascinating story. I don't want to ruin too much of it, but it's essentially about this quest to find the artist who played this music uh, from an album called Cold Fact. It was taken to South Africa and caught the country by storm. And you'll you'll hear exactly why, because it's, um, it's beautiful and moving music. But no one knew exactly who this Rodriguez character was. So the, the plot of the film is a search for Sugar Man, as he's mentioned, as he's called in, in various songs. Um, but this is one of my favorites. It's called Crucify Your Mind by Rodriguez. Crucify your mind. 
Was it a huntsman or a player that made you pay the cost that now assumes relaxed positions and prostitutes your loss? Were you tortured by your own thirst in those pleasures that you seek that made you Tom the curious that makes you James the weak? You claim you got something going Something you call unique But I've seen yourself pretty showing As the tears roll down your cheeks Soon you know I'll leave you And I'll never look behind Cause I was born for the purpose That crucifies your mind So can't convince your mirror As you've always done before Giving substance to shadows Giving substance evermore You assume you got something to offer Secret shiny in you But how much of you is repetition That you didn't whisper to him too Once again, that was Crucify Your Mind by Rodriguez. It's a beautiful tune and certainly a great film. I highly recommend it. It's a fascinating story and really reassuring. I actually got to see Rodriguez live in concert once. Um, he's, I think he was 85 years old or something, but he was he hadn't played in too many concerts because of his relative uh, anonymity until recently. But it seemed like he was having such a great time to be in front of a crowd and it was an absolute pleasure to be there. After the break, we're going to come back with a few more modern tunes that I've been enjoying. A couple of them are from uh, bands that my friends are in, and a couple of them aren't. But I hope you enjoy a little bit of it. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to hear a quick word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back on KSVY 91.7. Hello, Sonoma, and welcome back. Now, the first song that I'm going to play, as I mentioned, uh, from my current collection of tunes that are making a rotation, is one that is by an artist named Dora, Dora Jar, which is kind of a play on words from Dora Jar. Uh, this song is called Multiply. It's off of her first full album called Digital Meadow. I really enjoy the vibes of the whole song and uh, the kind of twist in the middle. So let me know what you think of Multiply by Dora Jar.
Once again, that was Multiply by Dora Jar. I, I don't know why, I just really like that song. I think it has a great buildup and uh, kind of that unexpected section at the end. It was a huge part of my trip. I played it from in the mornings, in the evenings, and at night, and it was just exciting. And it happens to be the, uh, you know, I'm only two degrees of separation from Dora Jar, so I feel like I, feel like I have a, a closer connection. And it's always kind of fun to listen to music that, to which you have a, a connection. So... Related to that, the next song is uh, from an artist called Sour Widows, which is uh, made up of a band of two, I think it's three people, one of whom was in my high school, or went to my high school, and we played in a band together, so I feel like, basically I'm in the next band. Basically, I play this next song. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I clearly didn't contribute at all, but this was a song that I really played a lot during 2020. Uh, It came out. It was the last show I saw before the pandemic. It was in February. Um, and then this EP came out. And they have, uh, they just have such great songs and such a great energy. So I hope you like this song. It's very energetic, very good uh, for getting out of bed early in the morning in the winter of a pandemic. Uh, it's I Want to Be Like Johnny by Sour Widows.
Once again, that was I Want to Be Like Johnny by the Sour Widows. It's kind of a long song, but it just has such great energy the whole way through. Uh, it really got me going throughout the pandemic. And even now, I mean, I listen to it all the time. Um, and it's such a pleasure. They have a new EP out. It's called Crossing Over. It's wherever you find your music, Apple Music, Spotify, Bandcamp. It's another great, great uh, album. Definitely recommended Crossing Over by Sour Widows. Um, so to kind of switch gears here, the next song that I'm going to play is another classic. And it's a song I should have played in the New Orleans episode, but I didn't think of it because I didn't think of the lyrics. And uh, just, I mean, the, the name of the song is City of New Orleans, and it's by the great Willie Nelson, the great American country singer or slash folk singer. I'm not sure how to qualify him. Anyway, it's a great tune. I hope you enjoy it. A great, a great road tune if you're in the road right now. Um, but let's take a listen to City of New Orleans by Willie Nelson. Riding on the city of New Orleans Illinois Central, Monday morning rail Fifteen cars and fifteen restless riders Three conductors and twenty-five sacks on mail All along the southbound Odyssey The train pulls out at Kankakee It rolls along past houses, farms, and fields Passing trains that have no name And graveyards Rusted automobile. Good morning, America. How are you? Say, don't you know me? I'm your native son. I'm the train they call the city of New Orleans. And I'll be gone 500 miles when the day is done.
darkness rolling down to the sea. But all the towns and people seem to fade into a bad dream. And the steel rails still ain't heard the news. The conductor sings his songs again. The passengers will please refrain. This train has got the disappearing railroad. That was City of New Orleans by Willie Nelson. Isn't that just a great tune? I mean, it has some fantastic storytelling, some classic 1970s storytelling. Um, And that's kind of the essence of what folk music is. And I think uh, not too many people can do it quite like Willie Nelson. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy at any chance to be able to hear that tune. So we've reached the end of this episode. This is the 13th episode of Hello Sonoma. Can you believe it? We've been doing this for a couple months now. And it's been an absolute pleasure to be on the radio with you all uh, in Sonoma and beyond. So as always, if you'd like to get in touch with us on Twitter at Hello Sonoma, that's the best way to reach us, or on Facebook. That's where I post all of our episodes uh, within the week that it goes on the radio. But I'm so excited to have you all here listening live and... uh, I hope you enjoy. We'll be back, of course, next week with another episode. But until then, remember, it's not goodbye. It's hello, Sonoma.